Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for episode 66 of Freight 360. And if you're new, welcome to Freight 360. Ben, we're on... uh, It's interesting. You are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. The only thing I'm going to say on sports this week, Bills won. Steelers got handed their first loss. Sunday night, we're playing each other. What's what do you Steelers what, Bills man? What's the line? Eight o'clock. Uh good question. Good look question. Let me look it up. Bills Steelers. I I would imagine that Steelers are the favored team. Um, but let me let me take a look here. Let's see here. December thirteenth. So Sunday night. Yeah. So the right now the it's actually not that bad. So you plus one twenty five. Um. The matchup predictor gives Pittsburgh a 56% chance to win. So we'll see. Buffalo's looking strong. They handed a pretty good, a pretty good smack um, to the 49ers. They were up by 17. Uh, ended up letting another score at the end of the game, but it was still a double-digit victory over Jimmy G's team as he sat in the stands and watched Nick Mullins lead the 49ers. But Buffalo got to go back to Arizona where the Niners are currently playing a couple games and uh, basically just erase the, the Hale Murray that Kyler Murray threw in that stadium a few, few weeks back. So yeah, it's good. Nine and three bills, uh, 11 and one Steelers. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting game. Um, so how many points are we giving you? They don't have the spread set just yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think they're going to they I bet you'll see a spread like later today or tomorrow. By the time that this episode drops Friday, you should see a spread. I would bet it's like three. Yeah, three and a half. That that's what I'm thinking. Um, but here's the here's the thing is. Bill, Buffalo is the home team and Buffalo is. So they usually give the home team three points sway. Yep. It's probably four and a half line at the then. same time. The betting throughout the week will change how that spread looks. So you might see a, like a, you know, or Pittsburgh minus three, and it might sway. People might hop on that money line or that uh, uh, spread for the bills. And that might sway more like to minus one, like the bills last week against the 49ers, or I guess it was this week it was Monday night. It opened up with bills favored by like three. And then it swayed to like, 49ers favored by one, one and a half. Then it kind of swayed back. So like it, all, the betting throughout the week will change all of it. So that's the whole point. The spread is to have Plot equal to money on each side. Same thing goes yeah, with the Exactly. Same thing we talked about last week, right? It's to have half of the money on each team so that they can just take that 10% in the middle. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. Absolutely. All right, cool. So that's sports. I'm not going to get any more into it. I'll give a prediction at the end of the episode here, but today we're going to talk all about carrier relationships. Ben, this is a, a huge one. I, I've done this in the past on episodes last year. We've done it a little bit this year as well. We're going to have a whole episode on it. Here's what we're going to talk about. All right. Um, w- you know, why is it important to have good carrier relationships and some different things to look at when vetting carriers out? 
um, carrier utilization, how to handle some issues, stuff like that. We're not going to get too deep into any specific uh, part of it. We want to keep this high level and generic so we're not confusing anybody. But if you're a new broker, this is great information. Keep listening. If you are an advanced broker or a very uh, veteran tenured broker, these are still good things to remember. And also if you've got a, you know, teammates around you or employees, you should make sure that you're, you're, you're kind of um, preaching or practicing what you preach or what we preach, I guess. And this is, and this is one of those other things, right? Uh, the other side of that, Nate is, you know, everybody gets kind of ingrained and gets used to gets into routines, gets into used to using the same carriers. And I mean, this is more for the tenured brokers, it's always good to look back at how these things were established and you should always be looking for new customers and with new customers becomes new lanes and new carrier bases. And you should, this should be something that is constantly on the radar if you're really yep. progressing throughout your career, no matter where you're at. I agree. Um, there's a, there's a lot of bad brokers out there that um, will just say, screw the carrier. And there are a lot of brokers that don't stand up for themselves and just say, pay the carrier. And there's a lot of gray area that can go one way or another. It's very subjective. But at the end of the day, carrier relationships are extremely important as our customer relationships. And also as is your integrity as a broker, because uh, sometimes you're going to have to put some fires out between both sides because that is literally what your job is as a broker is to facilitate the transaction. So I did a, uh, at the end of 2019, before anybody knew what 2020 was going to look like, uh, I answered the question, if I could change one thing in trucking for 2020, what would it be? And I said, I wish that we could, uh, it was an unrealistic um, wish, but I said, if I, you know, if I was God for a day and I had the power, I would say uh, erase the, the broker carrier um, hatred for each other, wipe the slate clean and let's all love each other and be nice and do great business together because uh, we need each other. We need carriers. We need the customers, the shippers. They, the carriers need us. Um, you know, so it's, we all need each other. And that's how this business all goes well. What I didn't foresee was uh, something called coronavirus and capacity going crazy, manufacturing coming to a, a halt for a lot of industries and businesses going under and people getting even more stressed. So, but we're going to talk about the positivity, the positive stuff. Carries. Let's keep it positive. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, we get asked this a lot. What matters more, right? Which side of, which side of the equation, which side of the transaction matters more? They both matter, right? Without carriers, brokers can't get any. That's like saying, which one up. of your kids do you love more? <laughs> <laughs> if you got but more I, than one, I only, I only have one. I only got one right now. So he's my favorite. I think, and he, I guess he's also my least favorite. So yeah gets to be both. But I think yeah. that's true, right? Like without carriers, brokers can't exist, right? But to that same degree on the carrier side, right? If you're not a contract carrier working with a large, you know, fleet and you do operate in the spot market, you don't have time to, to talk to all the shippers. You don't have time to get on the phones to work back and forth, to find backhauls. Like you see how long it takes to establish some relationships to just get a load, right? Yep. This is a valuable service that the market provides to both sides both the carriers and the shippers, right? And the, in the middle are us and brokers. And what we do is we just provide access to that market to the, ship, to the shippers. And for the carriers, we provide access to fluid business so that they don't have to stop what they're doing or in some cases have to pay somebody else to do this job for them, which also eats into their margin. So there's a cost yep. no matter where you look at this, both services add a ton of value to the equation. Agreed. Couldn't agree with you more. So the overall 
big picture importance of carriers. You can't, as a broker, you can't do your job without good quality carriers. Okay. And we're going to talk about repeat usage and carrier utilization in a little bit here, but um, you want to avoid having to go to a new carrier for every single load because you pissed off the last one or they pissed you off or whatever. Um, so it's important. We, we can't, you know, you say which one is more important. They're bo- they're, there's no right answer there. Yes, the customer pays the bill, but the, without the carrier, you would not be able to offer that service to your customer. So this is why they're very, very important. And the more that you can get to know your carriers and build a good relationship and rapport with them, is going to bear lots of fruit long-term and you're going to have a great relationship and you're not going to have feuds with carriers like we've heard so many bad brokers complain about all the time. I want to see that stop. It'll never happen because you're always going to have bad eggs on both sides. But hey, we can always hope and paint a happy picture. So so let's talk about some vetting, some vetting here. So uh, Ben, you spent a handful of years at a large brokerage. Um, let's talk about like, we'll think about when you were newer, right? Was there any kind of requirement that your company had at a minimum, like just objective requirements yes. that if they have to pass these few things to be approved by our company, did you have anything like that? So they did. And I, I'm off the top of my head. I don't remember these specific objectives. I mean, there's definitely, um, authority length came into play when it related to load value. If you were hauling a load that was over 100K, there was a different set of requirements for less than 100K. And there were some different... different requirements in regards to, you know, newer loads hauled with a carrier. You know, a little bit more frequency with the check calls. And I I know there was also a, a little bit more work around what you had to do to actually just, you know, tender that load too. So... And I think uh, you make a great point, right? You don't even remember it, but you remember that they existed. And I think that's the big takeaway is that you need to address, some of the things we're going to talk about here are optional, but a lot of them are, you have to address them. How you address them is going to be a reflection of you as a, either a business owner or um, you, as far as, you know, which company you're an agent for and how they address them or, you know, which company you decide to work with if you're an employee of a company. So, um, you mentioned authority length. That's a great one. So I've, you know, I've seen, uh, companies where they wanted 180 days and then I saw that change to 90 days. And then I saw that change to, well, we can override it to 60 days. And then I've seen companies that are like, um, we don't have a black and white requirement, but if their authorities under, let's say two to three months, we're going to look at a couple of other things, maybe some references to kind of, uh, balance the scale there. But I think, so if somebody's day one brand new authority, you need to decide, are we the kind of broker that wants to take the risk on these people without doing any kind of research? Because here's the deal. Let's say somebody, you know, was a, um, you know, a high quality trucking company owner or, you know, whatever, they're part owner company, they leave, they go start their own business. A bunch of drivers come over. They're going to, there's going to be a day one. There's going to be a day one. Everybody has day one. It's inevitable. Yeah. And that person that has that background experience and can get you referrals, that is a lot, lot better. And it's going to make you feel a lot better and good than someone that's like, I just went out and bought a truck. It's got my authority. It's like, ah, probably not. If I, you know, if I'm, if I'm running a brokerage, I'm not working with somebody on day one that has no experience in it, but I do believe in being flexible enough to bend, but not break. So you've got to, you've got to have checks and balances. So if the authority is a little light, 
look at some other things. So that's authority. And to um, that to that question, why I didn't remember what they were is the company I worked for had a proprietary system that rated all of the carriers. And it was an algorithm that ran against fallout percentages, other different things, late pickups. It was all baked into it. So there was like certain numbers from one to a hundred and those numbers correlated with load value in regards to what your comfort level with, just like you said, understanding the context around it to know you're putting the right carrier on that has the, you know, the right out of service time and the right, all of the other things that were baked into it that come into play. And you bring up a good point again, is that, you know, I'm thinking brand new carrier authority length, you brought up fall off percentage. And, you know, that's a, that's a tool that I remember we added in at a previous company, you know, by request. And these folks worked at, they came at one point in their career, they worked for the company that you were with and they requested, like, I used to be able to see this. And we're like, yeah, well, we have the info. Let's put it right there. So when you type in an MC number, if they're an active carrier for us, you're going to see fall percentage and how many fall offs. And that is right there gives you the data you need. So um, looking at there, if so, let's say they're already set up. Yeah, there are additional measures you want to look at as far as what is their on-time delivery? How many times have they fallen off of a load because they went and got a higher paying brokered load or whatever, or they, you know, they committed four trucks to eight loads and cut the four cheapest paying ones. You know, that's all good information because those are, sometimes you're going to find out those are some of the dirty carriers out there, just like the dirty brokers that do the same thing. And what does that tell you, right? It tells you and it tries to give you some type of scorecard so that you can track these things over time, right? And I mean, honestly, from time to time, these things happen. You're going to need to fall out. Truck will break down, can't make a pickup. But, you know, if you've got a repeat offender that they're just going to drop you at, at the, you know, a dime because there's a higher paying load, that's not somebody you can rely on. That's going to affect how you do business. It's going to affect when you've got to recover your loads. And all of that should come into play when you're deciding which carrier to put on that load. Absolutely. So, um, in the having a TMS that can compile that data for you, because you should be able to see data from your hist- from your historical loads, compiling that and presenting it to you as the broker or to your team is going to be crucial, which brings me to my next one, the safety rating. Okay. Um, so you're going to see satisfactory, conditional, unsat. Am I missing anything else? Or they don't have an authority. <laughs> They're not just yeah. Not well, there's, authority. there's no, there's no rating too, I believe. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Um, cause they did make a change a few years back where you can't, um, no rating. I think you can't pulse. There's certain day you can't pull publicly anymore. Like you used to be able to, I forget what it is. Um, but um, the, I guess the big takeaway here is let's say they have no rating or there's conditional. What, you know, what is your thought on it? Cause obviously if they're unsatisfactory, no go. Right. Um, if they're satisfactory, good to go. But if they're in that weird, you know, I'm conditional because I'm new or I had an offense or I have no rating cause I'm new or haven't been inspected yet or whatever. Um, how do you treat that? Cause there's, you know, it's, everyone can, there's no wrong answer. It's just everyone's practice. I usually ask, right? I'm always yeah. going back for the context. What was the situation? What happened? What occurred? What was it? Give me some of the info. But to that same point, what I'm always cognizant of is what are my shippers requirements? I can think of two customers right off the top of my head that you could not load a conditional carrier with their freight. So we had that baked in so that, you know, we couldn't tender a load into my system unless they had the correct safety rating. And a lot of shippers have that requirement and that requirement should also be upheld by the broker the same way as if the shipper was going to contract directly with the carrier. 
Yep. And, um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with safety ratings and what goes into them, in a nutshell, things such as uh, violating hours of service or having violations during a roadside inspection, those are what is going to ding um, a carrier, um, crashes, things like that. Speeding I mean, tickets. They, yeah, they, overweight. Speeding tickets, they look at like uh, substance abuse violations. There's a whole bunch that goes into it. Um, it's good to, to understand where that rating comes from if you're newer as a broker, that that rating of you know satisfactory, conditional, no rating or unset, you're, you're simplifying something that has a lot of context to it. So it, you should understand why they're in one of those categories and what the thresholds are as well. So, um, cool. So that's safety rating. I, here, here's the deal. I'm a proponent of, if you can, if you have the choice between a satisfactory and a conditional, you're going satisfactory, but yeah. to just blankly state that you're never going to use a conditional carrier, you run, and I'm not telling you what to do. You run the risk of losing potential business where you could otherwise dig more into it and find out, okay, I understand why they were conditional. Here's their get well plan. And we've got, and I'll some give referrals. you an example. There's a carrier that I worked with a lot out of Chicago and they had some turnover within their drivers. One of those drivers had, I think it was one of those substance abuse issues where, you know, got pulled over and they got dinged with it. The driver lost his job, but guess what? That safety rating still sits with that carrier. It sits with yes. that MC. It does not sit with that driver and disappears when the driver is no longer an employee. So yep. you don't want to be penalizing a carrier for something they've already remedied and are waiting for the system. And it's just like anything else, there's time periods before it's remedied. You you don't just you know let that driver go and all of a sudden jump back up to the other safety rating. Yeah, so when I worked for Conway Freight, so XPO now, but Conway Freight at the time and operations, there was a policy. I don't know if it still stands to this day. Um, if any driver was involved in an accident that had a fatality in it, whether or not they were deemed legally at fault, they lost their job. Um, same thing with a rollover because they said every rollover was the driver's fault because you that was improper speed, um, you know, whatever. You were going on a turn too fast. I get that. Um, the fatality one, it's tough. If you didn't cause the accident, ah, it's just, it's a gray area. The person already has to live with that, that an accident, like it's just, it's a really messy area, but that, that was a policy that they had. Um, and I think part of it stems from the fact that regardless, the name of our company will always be remembered as being involved in this accident that resulted in a fatality. And when bad stuff happens, even if the person loses their job, that safety rating still sticks with them, like you said. And if you were to let somebody cause a violation and keep their job, you're risking a second, you know, a repeat offender there. So interesting. So that's safety enough on that. Um, so I had on here the size of the fleet and you do not necessarily have to have a standard on this. I just think this isn't, this is not like a go, no go. This is important when you're vetting out a certain carrier for maybe they're going to take a repeat lane from you. You need to understand, well, how big are they? Well, do they have bench. the capacity Right. to actually follow through on this. And when we have a peak season and we have additional loads, can they commit to that as well? So you need to be looking at how big are they? And the best way to do this, Ben, I always say, if you go to FMCSA's website, look at the company snapshot for any care, you can search by MC number, DOT number, by their company's name. It'll tell you power units and drivers that, that they have on there, as well as their how many um, annual miles that they've shown and the as of which date. So you can see a lot of that basic information. It gives you a good idea of who you're dealing with. 
And that's important, right? It's, it's, that's what you're saying. I mean, you want to see how deep their bench is, right? Like, Hey, if you've got a lot of capacity and you're negotiating these out you want consistency within your carriers, Hey, if they've got 25 or 30 trucks and they run this lane and they're lined up with a front haul, you run that lane over and over again. Hey, you want some carriers with a little bit more, you know, more tractors, a couple more power units. It gives you the ability as you're scaling your business with your shipper as the broker, you've got the ability to also stay with, you know, some consistent care and to add some drivers to your business as you get bigger too. Exactly. So uh, I think where it's really crucial too, is if you go on and you see somebody, I mean, so looking at their, their authority information, first of all, is great. Cause you're going to see how they active, uh, when did, how long they've been, active and then, you know, power unit driver size. If somebody's single owner operator, they've been in business a year or six months and they're bidding on, they want to take four loads a week from you. And you're like, it's not even, it's not even possible. So these are red flags of, Hmm, maybe they're trying to double Double broker. broker. Right. So, you know, and it's, I don't want to get too deep into it, but these are things to look at and however you decide to um, address them is totally up to you. But I, recommend you need to address it in some way, shape or form. Um, let's talk about reviews. All right. So <laughs> this is kind of controversial because, you know, just like Yelp, people are more in, inclined to leave a negative review than a positive review. Right. And they hold more weight. It's the same adage of <laughs> you, you're a restaurant you serve a hundred good meals. Those hundred people might say nothing to anybody. You serve one bad meal. That one bad customer will likely tell 20 people. Yeah. So if you look at like DAT or Google and you look at some reviews for brokers, like the out of five stars, I'm pretty sure like the average review on Google for any reputable broker is like between two and three because they're just so you can do all you want to have positive feedback from your shippers and good carriers and employees. You're going to have the the pissed off trucking companies that are going to leave a bad review. And um so here, here's my take on look at them, take them for what they're worth, consider that whole mentality. But whether you're a broker or a carrier, I would address every single review that comes through. So if you don't have a Google account, get one and claim your company um, and regularly, t- regularly monitor your uh, load board reviews, truck stop, DAT, whatever else you're using. Um, so look at them for sure, you know, if you're unsure about somebody, but also as a carrier, you know, monitor what's being left on there about you and same thing with brokers and respond. If there's a, you know, a bad issue on there that can be resolved and that review can be remedied, taken off, or the person changes the rating, that's going to help so much. And Absolutely. for me, what was honestly, I think some stuff that it was stuff that I used, I guess, more often were the reviews that we would put in as a company into our own internal TMS system. You want to be able to reference that. You want to be able to put yep. a note in your own system like, hey, this dispatcher didn't tell me the truth or they said this truck was there. And then when I talked to the driver, it was nowhere close, which is one of two things. They either weren't communicating at all or they blatantly lied, neither of which are good, right? You want to be able to track some of this stuff in the course of your day. You're going to get busy. You're worried on covering the loads, but you want to be able to see, hey, if it's six weeks later and you're on with a dispatcher and something doesn't feel right, you want to be able to look and go, oh, this is the same person that I ran into an issue with last week, right? Because now maybe you're able to not necessarily think twice, but I don't know, maybe you work with a different dispatcher in some of these larger companies. Maybe you don't work with them at all again, but it's important for you to be able to track your experiences, who you've liked working with is just as important as the other side, right? What's gone well, yep. 
those should be added to your favorable list and the people you want to work with because that just makes your life easier just as much as things go wrong. Like you said, I, I mean, you don't want to put too much weight on it. You absolutely should be responding to every review that is out there to add your context to it. That's what happened. That's what went yep. down. So for, for internal TMS comments, I love this. So um, I, the majority of my uh, world in logistics has been in the agent-based model. And I will tell you that I understand the privacy of, of, a, of an agent's customer book of business, but I am a huge proponent of sharing all carrier data across the entire organization. So um, being able to see comments from other agents on what, you know, what have you seen from this carrier? Do we want to blacklist them or flag them because they um, didn't, you know, they delivered late or they uh, picked up late or they didn't, they weren't making proper check calls or they were rejecting GPS tracking or they held a load hostage. I've the, the, the hold a load hostage and not re, like report it to everyone else in the company blows my mind because that's a oh, huge issue. I've um, had a handful of those. Yeah. Double brokering. Like to me, you double broker once you're done. You hold a load hostage, hostage once you're done. That's my take on it. It's not, you know, it's not a legal requirement, but that's my take on it. You know, there are plenty of other carriers out there that you can pay for what they're worth and they're going to provide a better service for you. Totally agree. And I've had scenarios where I had carriers where they would pull capacity from other companies. So, I mean, on the face of it, it may have looked like double brokering, but if you ask them, They'd be more than happy to tell you. Like, and in fact, I could. T- her name was Felicia. She was in Chicago, and all of her family owned small trucking companies. She had like eight cousins that all had drivers and small companies, so they were constantly pulling capacity from each other as it would free up, which was a valuable service to anybody that needed stuff when Chicago was congested. But if you didn't ask that question, all of a sudden you're looking. I've got ten book, ten loads booked with a carrier that only has five power units. How's that possible, right? Mm-hmm. But when you ask them, you realize, hey, this is something that is totally legit and is something valuable. And once you understand the whole situation, you can use it to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, that's as simple as just changing the actual carrier that's being officially yep. listed on that load because a bill of lading is a legally binding contract. It's a doc, it's a legal document when goods are shipped. So knowing who's actually responsible, which company it is for the actual sh- uh, transportation and um, having possession of it, it's going to be huge. Yes, Imagine insurance. if something were to go wrong on one of those loads and you didn't know which, which carrier's authority or which authority was actually contracted. Exactly. Who's MC, ooh, ooh. who's the driver, who's the insurance, who's liable. Like none of those things are ironed out. And now you've got a heck of a mess on the back end. If you've got to work your way back through that. Exactly. Um, so, you know, reviews, internal data notes, all good stuff. Um, Man, the the tracking of internal stats and data, it's so valuable and there's so much to go into. I you, you could have 10 episodes on its own just about that stuff. So we don't want to bore everybody. Uh, so let's look at um, insurance, right? There's minimum requirements for insurance that they've got to have, right? So full truckload, standard cargo, $100,000. Um, now, let's say your customer has a high value shipment. Part of your vetting process, you need to make sure there's a carrier do they have a higher policy or can they get spike policy for that load or, you know, any kind of coverage that's going to be fill that gap in between. So that's, this is stuff that you have to look at. Same thing goes with if they need a special endorsement. So if they're, it's it's a tanker or hazmat, 
or, you know, we've got, and we'll talk about hazmat at the end. We got a question on it, but those are things that you have to look at. These are, these are not optional. They have to check the box. It's a go, no go. Yep. And then there are some that were, that were, sometimes use like reefer, right? What is, what is it? Reefer shut off and I forget what the actual name of that is. It's reefer breakdown. There's a name so, for that policy. Yeah. So there are, you can literally spend as much money as you want and get any insurance that you want. It's out there, but you make the, the point you bring up is good. So reefer, let's say a reefer unit fails, right? There's insurance. Actually the broker can carry it too, as part of their contingent policy, depending on how it's um, written but it can cover if a reefer unit fails because there I, I've seen so many times in produce where an insurance company will deny a claim because the carrier's policy, something was not done along the way to cover that for the insurance company to pay out. So then it would luckily as a broker, we carried the contingent cargo policy that covered that aspect, which is good. Um, but you make, you have a good uh, point there, Ben, is you want to make sure you understand exactly what is offered there. Cause you also can do um, the all risk policies from various companies. So I know like truck stop has, they used to call it cargo shield. It's not eligible for um, anything above if it's produce, like it, it has, if it's perishable, it can't, it has to be frozen. Um, but you can't have anything above 32 degrees cover under it, but they, they used to, and it's per load. They'd cover no matter what happens. If the, you know, they're going to, they're going to handle the claim paid out within 30 days and then work with the insurance companies on it. Th- those are all options you could do. Um, insurance is a whole nother episode in itself, but you gotta, you gotta understand what they have, what's covered and what's not. Cause there's insurance is basically just a way to mitigate risk. So are you willing to take a higher risk with a carrier that a, you know, has, you know, they meet the insurance requirement, but it's not, you know, there's better options out there. Uh, the same thing goes with their authority length or if they're conditional, you're trying to figure out what kind of risk am I taking and is it worth it? So that's insurance. Uh, but absolutely, if they got a high value, there's, you have to have it. It's that simple. You, you've got to have cargo, primary cargo insurance that covers the value of the load. Otherwise, and it, actually, I've got another point on insurance, the deductible. So did you guys ever, were you ever able to see if someone had a high deductible as a carrier? No, nor did I ever dig in far enough to look at it. So that data point, um, let's say a carrier has like a five or $10,000 deductible on their policy. That Those are typically policies where a carrier is trying to save money. So they will have more out of pocket if a claim happens, but then you have to remember they're paying that amount of it. So, you know, when, when they have a big insurance bill, then when the claim goes through, are you going to get your money right away? Are they going to default on it? I mean, you're having, it's more risk. It's what it comes down to. So interesting point. Um, referrals, references, we kind of already tied into this one. So let's say any one of these things that we've looked at, you know, maybe it's making you feel a little bit weary, nervous. This is where referrals and references is going to be huge. It's that subjective piece, right? They're newer or, you know, their fleet size only shows five trucks, but, you know, they're trying to take 10 loads from you this week or whatever. Um, get some referrals or, you know, I should say get some references. Maybe you want to call some other brokers that they've worked with or some direct shippers that they've worked with. Um, ask for a referral from them of someone that's going to make, basically make you feel good about the decision to, um, to contract with them on that load. Have you, have you ever done the reference thing where you're like, eh, this looks a little weird, or maybe your company did it, or they would call carrier references? 
I would do it, but it was usually references amongst other colleagues, even, even inside and outside of the company. That's another great way to do it too. Yeah. I would reach out and sometimes, and you know, definitely when you're at the market was super tight in 17, I would share resources with other brokers outside of our organization. Hey, these are the lanes I'm running. Do you guys have anybody that's local that you're not using that might be a good fit for this? And if it was another brokerage, sometimes I'd run it through them to give them a small percentage, but sometimes it was quid pro quo. Hey, I've got some carriers down here you can use. Um, and what was always with that caveat is, hey, you can use my carrier, especially if it was internal, as long as I don't have loads booked, right? I got yep. no issue sharing, but once my customer's freight's booked up, then you can have the rest of the capacity was kind of how we. I gotcha. That makes sense. I, I never, I didn't even think about that when we were putting the, the outlining for today's show is the internal. So the internal data, like you brought it up before on, follow-up percentages, um, you know, and now with referrals and references, this is, this is huge stuff because if, you know, if somebody, like I said, there, the stuff you see online with a, a rating or a fleet size or authority, all that stuff, it's very objective. It's, you know, A, B, or C. Whereas if you get a subjective reference from, or a comment from somebody inside your organization or a colleague, a, a competitor, whatever, sharing that knowledge is going to be so invaluable and help you make your decision. So, and it's also just as important, right? And we talked about this a little bit in regards to reviews and writing whether or not they're notes for yourself, right? Because one of the best resources you're going to have over time throughout your career is looking back to who you've used in the past, who has done well for you, right? And sometimes that might be somebody from last year. It's certainly not going to be somebody you're going to remember, right? And to be able yep. to just quickly look through your lane history, because maybe you ran a couple spot loads down a lane with a new customer and you don't even look at that lane for six months and another customer happens to have that lane. Like that looks familiar, right? That's my first place I'm going is somebody I've already worked with, right? Absolutely. I want to trust their experience with me above anybody else's. I want to be able to see who I've always used for every lane. So that's super important that you're constantly keeping track of that. And you've got a system that allows you to review that at some point. Absolutely. So the, the, so what on all of these, right? So we, these are, we just looked at a bunch of different data points to look at on vetting carriers. So if you're a W2 employee, so you're employed by a brokerage, um, maybe you heard something on the show today that your company's not doing. This is a great way for you to start a discussion around your office on, Hey, we never, we never did look at this, or maybe we missed something that you guys are doing at your office. Let us know. I want to share that amongst the community. Um, if you're an agent, right? Agents throughout their career, oftentimes might switch from one brokerage to another, understand the carrier qualification process for the brokerage you're going to become an agent for before you sign on with them, right? And any person that you talk to that knows what they're talking about and can represent that organization should be able to answer those questions. If they can't, if they can't, you're talking to the wrong person or the wrong company. Um, well, and the easiest way to do that is just call, ask to talk to the owner if your person that's recruiting you doesn't have the answer. Bring up a really good point and that'll kind of take us into our next topic, right? Importance of repeat usage and what some of these things are is this is valuable, right? Your carrier base, your own carrier base has value. Those relationships you've established are valuable, right? That's something you do want to be able to evaluate if you are looking to possibly go work with another organization. If you're looking yep. and you're new to the industry, this is something you want to know. 
hey, do we have a consistent carrier base? Do we have any carrier base whatsoever? Does everybody just cover their loads off the spot boards or do we have a carrier base we can use? Because I promise you, your life is going to look a lot different if you have one versus having none because you're just going to spend that much more time introducing and meeting and having to do all the work we've talked about that is shared through different agency models and other companies. Yep. It's not, it's just a lot more work to get this and you're going to have a lot of mistakes because let's be honest, not anybody, not everybody in any industry, no matter what it is, are everybody created equal, right? Not everybody's going to put service first. Not everybody puts honesty or integrity at the top of their priority list, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that is always the most important thing, but it should be real close to number one if it's not. Yeah. I agree. And to the, to the point of the agent as well, you know, you can take a look at what is the carrier network look like that I'm coming into, but also oftentimes an agent doesn't just bring their customer base. They bring a lot of their carriers with them as well. So to take a look at those are the questions to ask if you're looking for a new agency or new home for your agency is, you know, what is the carrier network look like right now? How much repeat usage of our carriers do we have right now? Is it, you know, 1% of our carriers are actually used every month or every quarter, or is it, you know, 20%. So you're going to have a lot of carriers that are one and done. It happens, but, and then you also want to look at what is your requirement? Are my current carriers that I'm going to bring with me? Are they set up? If not, are we able to get them set up? Or is there some kind of limitation that this company has that's going to prevent me from doing that? These are the questions to ask. So let's talk about repeat usage too. Yeah. And this actually came up with one of my clients earlier today. They had said that we actually referenced in one of our shows, one of the products they can use if they don't have a department for this. Is there one that you recommended? They literally told me they were like, yeah, Nate was talking about one of the products that allows you to send the carrier packets and to be able to, to streamline this if you're a small brokerage. What was that resource? You remember? So the, the two common ones, so mycarrierpackets.com is one of them. And man, we should just be telling them that they should become a sponsor at this point. We, absolutely. That's a phone so call. To my care packets is great. A lot of their stuff is automated for setups. Uh, RMIS is another one that a lot of companies use. Um, I forget what it stands for. You probably used RMIS before though, right? Mm, Maybe I mean, not. It's it's a bit, it's an onboarding. It's a uh, carrier onboarding tool. So let me, let, me, let me do a little Google machine here. RMIS, it is the... Registry Monitoring Insurance Service, services, rmis.com. So carrier onboarding, uh, all about, let's see here. They've got certified carriers. They they can automatically pull their insurance. It's basically a big database. And my carrier packets is very similar. So carriers can register with my carrier packets. And if a broker uses my carrier packets, it makes the onboarding as simple as you give them a personalized link. They log in with their already existing username and password and you automatically get all their information that they've they've already been vetted, basically. That's so, phenomenal. Yeah, it's what do super services easy. run? What's that? What do they run? What's the price? Can you see? Uh, I don't know. I would imagine the, there, there's probably some kind of like a volume-based pricing with uh, an organization like that. Um, what I would do is, I, I've personally used my carrier packets. It's really, really good. If... Um, I'd recommend them if so, if you have a you know if anyone out there listening is looking for a carrier onboarding tool or you can even tell your client Ben um, have them just reach out to my carrier because they probably have got account managers that can speak to that way better than me who was just on the uh, the user end of it so um, yeah, interesting um, good stuff yeah pooling of information and data I love it. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about repeat usage, yeah. right? And then we'll kind of wrap this up with some Q&A. So I mentioned repeat usage before, whether it's 1% or 20%, whatever. Um, I'm not going to say what the benchmark should be, but the higher it is, the better. So if you can get a care that you're using over and over and over, you're building rapport, building relationships, when issues come up, you guys can flex for each other over time, right? It's not a one and done transaction. You've got uh, a reputation built up with them, a track record built up with them. Um, and you're not relying on load posting all the time. You don't even have to post load. So keep, make sure life simple, saves you time, saves you money, and you're going to just get better service overall. It's, it's that simple. Then, you know, the, the shippers and receivers start to recognize the faces that show up there, the guys and gals in the trucks that are actually picking up and delivering. It's just good overall. So, um, man, that's the best. The repeat. I got, I got guys that don't even post loads ever anymore because they have their carriers for their lanes. And that's one, that's the obvious one. You know, you have carriers that you're going to rely on. You just tender the loads, you get into that automated, you know, mindset. That's phenomenal because it's less risk, right? You know, the type of work they're going to provide, you know, the risk, Hey, it makes everybody's life easier, but it also makes working with new prospects easier too, right? Once you've got that carrier base, even as your own for your own book of business, you know how much easier it is when you've got prospects that are sending over lanes and you're just calling your carriers like, hey, I know you guys run this lane. Can I get a couple of rates Absolutely. on these? Absolutely. You don't need you to already know the capacity that you have access to. It's you great. know the capacity. It's such a fluid process. It makes so much of this easier. And one of the things that we didn't talk about, and I just wanted to touch on is that out of service percentage, right? So typically if you're on the lower end of a rate, when you're booking a load or booking a, you know, a truck on a load, it usually correlates with a higher out of service percentage, right? The older their truck, the more likely it is that it's going to break down or something that's going to happen to it, right? And it literally happens with every truck when it hits a certain amount of mileage, right? They break down more often, right? Well, those are typically the guys that are willing to run it less, which is when you are looking at your carrier base, your risk is up, but that's why your margin's there. But we talk about this a lot in so many questions. So many people go, all my shippers care about is rate. This is that context. And this is an example of how you sell that back. You know, we talked about that last week and selling a rate is you're talking to your shipper. Hey, yes, I know you wanted to be at a thousand dollars. I'll put a truck on this for a thousand, but guess what? The likelihood that something may go wrong is pretty high. If we pay 12 or 1300, I can get you a much better truck, literal truck, a newer truck with a driver who's got more experience that is much, much less likely to break down and much, much more likely to make it on time. And you're giving them a real option because that's something people can understand. It's hard to understand why you pay a thousand over 1300 for a different truck. When you understand that like, Hey, it's a difference between putting this on the back of the equivalent of a 1985 Datsun or a 2020, right? Like Dodge Ram, yeah. right? Yep. That's really what you're, that's where like you're. How, yeah. I mean, that's where the whole time or speed quality and cost goes in. Yes. If you, if they're willing, like, Hey, if it could, if they're, if it breaks down and doesn't shut down production, the customer might be a little bit more willing to take the risk on that one. Right. But you need to make sure, like you said, you got to put it in context, educate the customer on why the rate is what the rate is and what goes into that. So you've got a super tight receiving schedule with some of the, you know, grocery chains out there. If that truck breaks down, you've got a big problem on your hands. It's going to yep. cost you a lot more than 200 bucks. Absolutely. So overall that's carrier relationships. You know, the, the big takeaway 
it's a very, very, very important. Good carrier relationships will get you more business from your customers. Okay. Right. And the larger you grow, carriers will like to keep working with you because you may have multiple customers with multiple lanes that you can keep feeding them. Backhauls start lining up. It gets really, really awesome. I've had a guy go so far as to he um he would go on the when he would send his driver to one location, he'd go on the load boards, find them their next load, not even like ask for any kind of dispatch fee and be like, dude, I found you your next load. It's going to get you right back here for next week's pickup. Boom. I would do that over and over again. Amazing. When I had the time early on in my career, that was how I was going to work. I'm like, Hey, I don't have the cash and I don't have the, you know, huge amounts of GP running through my book. Like, Hey, what do I have to give? I've got my time. You know what? I only got one load to work on. Guess what? I'm going to try to get a lower rate but I'm also going to jump on our own internal load board and I'll jump on the external load board with you. Let me see if I can help find you a back and get you right back home. Yeah, it might Absolutely. take you an extra hour, but that's how you're going to book a little bit higher of a revenue. It's going to book a little bit more margin and it works out for everybody. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. Let's wrap it up with some Q and a here. I'm going to keep these kind of quick. First question. This came through our website from Eric asking about using a the alias city option. And he even did say, I think you guys talked about it before. Um, we we probably did. I've talked about it a couple of times. The alias city option, when you're posting on a load board, gives you the opportunity to um, change the the city that's listed for your origin or destination. And the, re the two main reasons that I've seen that used for, a, you know, in a positive way, in an ethical way, is one, um, let's say you're in a small town, 20 miles outside of a metro area, and no one's ever heard of it. Uh, a big city is going to be w a way easier way to identify. Oh yeah, I know where Chicago is, or Better I know ride. where I know where Buffalo is, or you know whatever. So the other option is, um, it's just a creative strategy. Is let's say you're on a load list, and you know you go on the boards, and five other brokers are posting the same load. You can change up your origin destination city a little bit, you know, within reason, a few miles, town, town next door, whatever, or closest metro area, so that when carriers are searching, they're not seeing you as one of 10, they're seeing you have, as one of one in that lane. So they know that, you know, this is a genuine load. It's not just a bunch of brokers competing. Um, when in actuality, it is a bunch of brokers just competing. You're just being more creative with it. So the caveat there is um, don't list it you know, two States over and then be like, Oh, sorry about that. This is actually picking up in here, not there. That's unethical. And you're going to destroy your carrier relationships by doing that. But overall, I know that has it. A lot of TMSs have integration where you can use that feature and it changes over. I don't know if truck stop does, but interesting, interesting tool. So um, I'm a big advocate of it. I mean, whether it's automated or not, I'm looking for more ways to post the same thing. It's throwing out a little bit bigger of a net. I mean, I don't think it's in any way unethical. Like you said, it's more the notoriety. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows all of the suburbs in some of the areas, but they'll notice those big cities. So you'll get a few more calls. And I mean, yep, that's the goal at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Next question. What criteria is, what criteria goes into determining LTL pricing? Everything. Uh, so LTL is very, very different than full truckload. Okay. The capacity is fairly set already, barring any companies going out of business or distribution centers, reshape facilities being burned to the ground, drivers quitting. They're there. They've got thousands and thousands of units, hundreds of reshape facilities, these nationwide LTL carriers. They're going to look at, well, they used to just look at weight 
is the biggest one. They look at utilization a lot now. So the cube of the, how much trailer space is the shipment take up? Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're going to look at a, a combination of the weight of the shipment, how much trailer space does it take up? Obviously, how far is it going? You know, zip code to zip code. Is it hazmat? What class, class. of freight? So that's going to be density. Yeah. They're going to look at accessorial charges. So does it require a lift gate, driver unload, residential, um, military installation access, you name it. A whole bunch of stuff goes into it. So um, other than that, pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah, oh, that's super easy. <laughs> yeah, LTL, and there's a couple, there's an episode strictly on LTL that I did over the summer. Take a look back at it. I don't remember which uh, which number it was, but there's one in there. We could do another one at some point. We should try to get an LTL um, carrier on here, maybe like an account rep or a, like a capacity a good person that really, really can speak to that. So that'd be good. LTL, though, it's a different world. It's, it's fairly complex, um, but once you start doing it, Man, the margins are a lot greater. Smaller rips per load, but if you get into a consistent rhythm, they're shipping every day, every other day, whatever it is. It's a great way to offer an extended service to your full truckload customers that other full truckload brokers aren't doing. So, you know, it's another tool for your toolbox. So that's LTO. Last one. What advice can you give me with moving hazmat loads? Well, uh, legally, you have to have a carrier that is endorsed to carry hazmat and the driver specifically as well. Uh, as a broker, there is no federal training on dangerous goods, but they do require that every company train their employees, everyone involved in the process from the broker, the you know accounting person, you name it. They've all got to be trained on dangerous goods some way, shape or form. There's online courses. Here's what I recommend is that um, if you haven't been trained on it, don't do it. Your company is literally breaking the law by letting you do that. It happens. I've seen it many, many times. Agents that have never been trained on it. Um, you know, but that being said, understand what you're doing, educate yourself, learn, talk to other folks that are doing it. Um, you, you ever deal with the hazmat side of things, Ben? I did. And I mean, there's a lot of risk in that for a lot of reasons. I mean, when, when you even look at, I mean, a lot of it had to do with like cleanup in regards to what if something could go wrong. I mean, there's a lot of liability around there. You know, I mean, conversely, that's what usually why you get to make a little bit higher of a margin. Yep. And I mean, in all honesty, I, I had a department that I was able to lean on that was able to take a look at it. But I mean, once you are trained on it, it's fairly straightforward. There are different classes. You look up the class to make sure that's a class that you can haul. And then you vet the same requirements with your carrier to make sure the endorsements are there. And then running it is usually pretty similar to running a normal load. It's in making sure you got the expertise and understanding the classes yep. and the insurance coverage and the cleanup along with all of those things. Yeah, so hazmat is such a general phrase. It's literally hazardous material. So anything that the government has decided is dangerous. So like, you know, for example, class one is explosives. So like class 1.1, which is the most explosive, is a lot less dangerous than class like 1.8. So you'll see like fireworks in the summertime are shipped a lot and that's somewhere in the middle, right? They're not a blasting cap, but they're also not a, you know, huge missile. Like I've loaded class 1.1 explosives on the military side um, from the ground onto a vehicle and from a vehicle onto an aircraft loader and 
aircraft blow it around to an aircraft. Like, I mean, there, there's all kinds of ways you got to have the placards on there. You've, everyone's got to be trained on that, ve- that vehicle and all that stuff. So it's, it's nuts. Some hazmat can go next to other hazmat yeah. classes. Some can't. Right. Um, but yeah, there's uh, there's a lot that goes into it. It's very broad, but like, yeah, like I said, one class one's explosives. You got class eight, which is oxidizer. You got, uh, think about the difference between uh, bulk fuel and a, you know, spray can of air, right? They're both going to have or a battery, right? Very, very different, very different level of danger. Um, but they're all grouped under this hazmat. I'll tell you the one tip that I think everybody could find valuable out there is make sure that it's not there if you haven't been trained on it. Because I can absolutely tell you, I've seen many times where somebody ended up with a load tender to them and nobody noticed that it was hazmat because it was on that line item on that BOL. Like you want to make sure that if you've got a customer that does ship hazmat, you're asking them whether or not the load you have is or isn't hazmat before you accept it. Yep. So cleaning uh, products are, like you said, a lot of things that you wouldn't think of because when we think hazmat, I think we think explosives and all these big things when the reality is, is like bleach is hazmat. And a lot of the things that are just household goods can fall into that. Yep. Aerosol cans, batteries, like laptop is going to have a hazmat thing on it because there's a battery in it. Cell phone, same thing. Um, Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. Good, good discussion. Um, Good questions. Before we wrap this up, Ben, man, Bill's, Bill's, uh, Bill's Steelers, man. What, what, uh, what do you think Sunday night? You're going to take the Steelers, obviously. And I'm going to take the bills. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Yeah. And I won't want to tell you what I think. Cause then if you want to hold me to that line, I don't know. Like I think Steelers win by seven. Okay. See, I was going to call it a super close game, like a two to three point game. Um, I'm naturally going to take the bills cause it's they're, I'm, I live in Orchard Park, and the game is in Orchard Park, and it's my Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, but they lost their – Steelers lost the only game on what, what is looking like an undefeated season, at least up to that point. Uh, I think they're going to yeah, show up. Yeah, but undefeated up. against who? They, they've played, like, one good team all year. And I, if you don't remember, week. you know, their team hasn't changed that much since last year, and yeah, they lost to Buffalo last year. But so. – I mean, I, you have that much momentum. It It's painful when you're you, coming you, off of an angry loss. Yeah. You guys have some – pissed off motivation I and so the Steelers tend to lose I mean just historically to the teams they play down to and they they'll usually play up to the better teams so usually the heartbreaking losses throughout my life were the ones that they should have won and I kind of feel like the Buffalo's got a good team they're going to play up to the competition and I think they we'll see they pull it off. Any COVID tests, injuries? You never know, man. This the year of 2020. The football games change all the time. Is it even going to be a Sunday night game? Who knows? We've seen Monday morning. We've seen Monday night, Tuesday night, freaking Wednesday night, Tuesday afternoon, every night except for Friday night. Well, we're going to have Saturday night. I think Buffalo got a game flexed to Saturday against Denver in two weeks, something like that. I don't know. It's the time of year when they start doing the Saturday games. It's kind of fun. It's football around. So. Well, good stuff. Good questions. Um, let us know what you guys think about the Bills Steelers game. Let us know what questions you have. And uh, Ben, you got to give me a sign off today. And I'm wondering if you're going to say something about your Steelers or you're just going to do your classic. You believe you can or believe you can't. You're right. Until next time, go Bills over the Steelers. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. 
Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.